Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi, bringing you another quarantine edition of our show. As always, you can find us on our social media pages at No Referees Pod and on our new YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. We're joined by a very, very special guest today, my friend, my brother. He's a head men's basketball coach at Prairie View A&M. He's a reigning two-time SWAT coach of the year. He swears he is the best player over 50 in America. You can, fi- <laughs> you can follow him on his team page at PV Men's Hoops and also his athletic page at PVU Panthers. My brother, Byron B. Smith. What up, bro? How you doing, Everest? Man, I'm good, man. What's going on with you, man? <laughs> hey, just trying to stay safe, trying to stay out of the way. Walk slow, talk low, so no one will see me. Maybe I can man. sneak up on somebody. <laughs> you wear, hey, you are wearing all black, though. <laughs> hey, I am Everest on the Jocko Wukuche. My brother, it's good to see you, man. And, uh, you, know, these, you know, these times right now, you know, this is a, a sports-based podcast. And we got a lot of things going on in America. So we're going to touch on a few topics today. So I appreciate you taking time out to join us. In these times, being a leader of, of men, in particular African-American men, you being a father of a teenage young man as well, you know, what kind of advice and message are you giving to your kids and people that you mentor on a day-to-day basis in these current times? Uh, just just to, to pay attention, uh, to be aware, uh, to stay woke, if you will. That's kind of like the, the slogan that uh, a lot of the young uh, generations using today, stay woke, pay attention to uh, what's going on. So, um, you know, you can be able to, um, you know, make the adjustments as need be, to be as safe as you possibly can, but also to share information. Uh, then maybe to help your brother. You know, each one teach one um, is is kind of the motto that we uh, that, that we, that we kind of adopted here. I talked to my my children about that. I talked to my players uh, about uh, the importance of uh, understanding your environment. Um, obviously, out here at Prairie View, you know, we're kind of a little bit of a smaller place, smaller town, where um, at least a little thing you do gets noticed. Um, you know, we talk about profiling. Uh, I think it's different types of profiling. Obviously, with uh, the younger generation, the uh, African-American generation, uh, you know, people are into stigmas and people are into trends and certain dress, certain language, um, you know, being with your teammates, you know, they always kind of want to be together. So being in um, automobiles, you know, three, four people, these are the things that you need to be careful of because there's going to be some type of profiling going on. Uh, so we, we, we talk about a myriad of things, but the main thing is just to be aware, pay attention to the George Floyd situation, the Rihanna Taylors, the Trayvon Martins, that um, it can happen to anybody. I mean, it can happen to you, uh, but just to pay attention, uh, to be able to, uh, again, share experiences, be able to um, be better uh, when you're in a position to impact, uh, make sure that you're doing that, make sure that you're being positive. Uh, make sure that you are trying to make a difference, trying to affect people in a positive way, uh, but really to pay attention right now to, uh, to, to the signs of the things that are going on in society right now to make sure that you're not the one that gets caught up in the situation. And, he, and then the last thing, to be respectful. Uh, if there is a situation involving law enforcement, you get pulled over, always be respectful. Always try to, um, you know, uh, be a part of the solution. Don't be a part of the problem. Don't get out with an attitude. They ask you to get out. They ask you for your license or whatever. Just be respectful. And because not everyone that's in that uniform wants to cause you hurt, harm, and danger. Being, you know, being so close to, to Houston, you know, Prairie View is right on the outskirts of Houston. You know, we just had the George, recently had the George Floyd Memorial in Houston. How has that affected, you know, the community of Prairie View and the people that are around that you see on a day-to-day basis, just with it being so close proximity from George Floyd being from Houston and so many national national eyes on Houston in this light. I think it's unifying us all as a, as, as a, as a country, uh, whether we want to recognize it, realize it, uh, acknowledge it. I think it's bringing us all closer. I mean, I really do believe that in all nationalities because African-American people aren't the only ones that face discrimination. There's other ethnic groups that face discrimination. So I think it's, uh, bringing our city together, unifying us. I think it's obviously, as I said earlier, our country, because everyone is, 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 is awakened by this latest tragedy. 
so I think it's bringing us all closer together, wanting us to listen more, pay attention more, to try to help each other more, educate each other more, uh, maybe touch your brother on the shoulder and say, hey, man, you may not want to do that, man. It, you know, it could be some severe consequences down the line if you do that. Uh, my biggest thing is I'm hopeful that this is a, a, a movement, Everest, and not just a moment. This situation that is going on, this is that, you know, two months from now, that people just won't go back into their natural habits of doing things. And, and but, but, but keep this in mind that this, this is, this is, when things like this happen, uh, I think it, things like this, and it, it, although it's, it's negative, and what actually happened to Mr. Floyd is, is catastrophic, and my prayers go out to his family uh, for having to deal with this. But what are we going to do now? Now what? Okay, it's happened. People are showing uh, a lot of attention. People are, you know, obviously protesting and peaceful protesting, hopefully. Uh, the memorial was yesterday. Everyone's going out. So what's going to happen now after, after, uh, after yesterday? So what's going to happen now? How are we going to react to it? And how are we going to be better? Learn from that situation and, and be better. So again, my thoughts, hopefully it's a, it's a, it's a movement, not just a moment. Yeah, that was very art articulate, Coach. You know, I know, knowing you personally, and we'll get into some of the stuff that, you know, some of the reasons how I know you. And I just want to piggyback off something you just said a second ago, you know, as a coach, you know, at an at a HBCU program, you know, most people just think that, you know, HBCU is just, is, is just all African-Americans, but there's so much diversity, you know, so much inclusion. You know, in, in this time, in these time frames, what have you learned personally as a coach just more about being – more inclusive, you know, more diverse and different things of that nature? Well, even before being a coach, I mean, as a former professional athlete and playing in six, seven different countries, uh, I've never, ever paid really attention to, to, to race because the great thing about sports, Everest, is that it breaks down all racial barriers. You think about it, it brings people from all walks of life to, to play this great game that we're all blessed to be a part of here in HBCU. Uh, people are people. The new generation, you know, and most of the racism that, that, I, that I've experienced has been with the older generation, with the kids, the 29, 21, 22, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. You don't see a lot of that. I mean, it's, just, it's a generation now, and they, they bond together by, uh, by uh, you know, um, uh, athletic apparel, uh, sports teams, uh, music, hip-hop. I mean, they, they're just a lot closer group than my group. You know, I'm, I'm 50 years old, um, and, and it's just a difference right now. So here at Prairie View, uh, we've got all different walks, all different nationalities, ethnic groups, and things like that. And they eat together, they walk together, they study together. So, uh, you know, but we want to continue that. We want to even to increase that, uh, the awareness that this is what we need to do. Maybe that the younger generation can actually impact the older generation. You know what I mean? To uh, maybe not... Um, you know, stereotype. You judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I mean, the great Dr. Martin Luther King said that, you know, and he stood on that. And that's what this country should readopt, if you will. He said it, but it needs to be implemented from, you know, our older generation, our politicians, lawmakers, things of that nature. But here at Prairie View, uh, you know, these kids are all unified. They're one. We've, we, we experience very little racism or any type of hate crimes or any types of, um, uh, 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 mimicking or mocking and things like that. Everyone just kind of comes together and they walk down the same path. That's to better themselves, to get an education. If it's, if it's athletics, uh, the common goal, you know, to, when you come into these institutions, they obviously get an education, to have a great athletic experience and to be able to affect someone in a positive way along your way, you know, while you're here at Prairie View. So here at Prairie View, things are very good. And I, I like to see the increased numbers of different groups that are coming in. We have a lot of white students here. I mean, like you say, you think HBCU, it's not just for people of color, okay? It's for people that, you know, want to have an opportunity uh, to better themselves and to get a great education. So I, I love it. I love the environment. I love the spirit. Kids are all on one page, and, uh, and, and things work well here for every for, uh, for our student athletes and our students. I appreciate that, Coach. You know, let's switch gears over to some, some, some basketball mm -hmm. stuff. You know, yeah. Specifically, I want to talk about your journey. You touched on it a little bit. You know, you're a guy, you know, from humble beginnings, Louisiana. You know, you had a pretty prominent basketball career, University of Houston, played overseas. You know, just talk about Byron Smith, the coach, and the journey you made to get to where you are. You know, you've had a few coaching stops along the way. Now, just talk about, you know, what you know, what's what's Byron Smith like as a coach and, and some of your background. Well, you know, as a as a man and obviously a coach second, you know, I, I always have to acknowledge uh, my Lord and Savior, Savior Jesus Christ because he's the one that, that that gave me this assignment. You know, and I look at basketball from the time I started. I didn't know it because I really wasn't, uh, you know, fully developed yet, but you know, basketball was given to me by God, and it, it's, it is my divine assignment. This is the assignment that he's given me 
to, to take it and to use it in a positive way to try to impact others and you know, affect others in a positive way. Uh, so that's first and foremost, as a player, uh, I've, I've started out, like you say, humble beginnings. I bounced around a little bit. Uh, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was battered, but I wasn't broken. You know what I mean? I, I was, I had to, I was bent a lot, but I didn't break. Uh, basketball's taken me all over the world. It's brought me in contact with, obviously I'm dealing with the host right now. Very good friend of mine. That's what brought you and I together, you know, the game of basketball. And it's, uh, again, it breaks down all racial barriers. I mean, when I've been on the basketball court, I've been in some hostile environments and, but you know, when you're on the court, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that, that I've, I've dealt with all different types of people, you know, white and international kids. I mean, from, you know, China and, and South America, Europeans, I mean, all different types. So, you know, that's all, that's been a, that's been a, it's been a blessing to me. And it's been something that I take very, very serious. And I'm so happy that I've had the opportunity to experience the game transition over to being a coach. You know, once again, I'm, I'm just a person that, uh, that just, the game of basketball is like, it's like a, it's like a, 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 a four by one race, if you will. I mean, it's like you get the stick, you run a hundred yards, you pass it on to the next person. Someone handed the stick to me, God gave me the baton and I still have it right now. Uh, and I'm trying to, you know, nurture it. Uh, I'm trying to take it and use it in, in an impactful way to try to infect others in a positive way. Um, and, and, and I want to, when I'm doing this time for me to give it up, Everest, I want to, I wanted to, I want to give it back the way that I got it pure and, and, and spotless. And because the game is, the game is sacred and we need to treat it that way. Um, so, you know, my coaching philosophy and what I like to, how I like to do things, I, I tell these guys, play each game like it's your last. Um, because it can be taken away from you so quickly. I mean, look at the situation with Kobe Bryant, which was catastrophic, even though his playing career was over, but he still was a basketball guy. And, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, just one day, you know, he's no longer here. So, uh, you know, I, I use situations like that to tell our players to play each game like it's your last, appreciate it. Um, it's a privilege, not a right, to play this great game. Uh, always give great effort. You can't always play well, but you can always play hard. You know, always play like you appreciative of the opportunity. Uh, you know, so those are, those are some of the things that I think that I've become, uh, you know, and I've tried to implement in, 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 in coaching uh, is having a great appreciation for it. You know what I mean? And um, I love coaching. I mean, I obviously love playing uh, a lot more because I think I was a better player than I am a coach. But I still got some, I still got some time to go. Eric, so maybe, maybe I can. If anybody knows, you know that you're, that you're, you're the best uh, 50-year-old out there hooping. We all know that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And I keep my phone right next to me. So anybody needs a spot up shooter uh, that can't play any defense and refuse to pass, just give me a call. I'm waiting. Uh, but no, it was, I mean, I, I can speak for days about the game, how it's impacted yeah. my life, how it's uh, helped to shape and mold me into the man that I am today. Uh, and again, I, I, I'm thankful and I just want to continue to coach uh, each and every day uh, with great appreciation. I'm an effort coach. Like I say, it's about your effort. It's not always about your talent. Uh, you can't predict talent, but you can predict effort. You have control over that. Uh, so that's what I that's what I try to implement and try to stress to my players each and every day. We're going to play each game very hard. We'll be the hardest playing team every time we step out on the court. Uh, may not always be the most glamorous and get the most attention for you know being an offensive you know uh, having offensive excellence, but our effort is going to be top notch no matter who we play and every night that we step out there. Yeah, uh, I watched a few of your, your games this year, especially some of your home games online. And I rewatched a few of them on Synergy. Man, you guys, y'all get out there, y'all run and y'all gun and y'all fly around. And, man, them dudes just play super hard for you. They do. They do. And that, that's just kind of like I said, again, the things that you can control on a daily basis is your attitude and your effort. And that's not only in, in game and sports. Well, that's in life in general. You know what I mean? So we focus on that, having a great attitude, a great appreciation, and giving great effort each and every day. So, Coach, let's, uh, let's talk about how I met you, you know, our introduction to how we met uh, in, in the basketball scene in Houston. I was a strength coach uh, over at Houston Baptist. I was training Marcus Williams. Shout out to our brother Marcus Williams when he sees this. You were his uh, personal player development coach. Uh, you were uh, not just Marcus, but a lot of other player development uh, assignments you had, so to speak, mm -hmm. in the Houston area. You know, mm -hmm. talk about just your relationship you had. Uh, just with players in the Houston metropolitan area, and what makes makes Houston so good, you know, for, for basketball talent? Well, you know what, it's it's just something that you know I uh, when I stopped when I finished playing, Evans, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of players make when they want to go into coaching, they just go right into it. There's no grace period to kind of separate, you know, because playing and coaching are on opposite ends of the spectrum. 
uh, I think the one thing that's similar is instincts, you know, and uh, I had so much to learn uh, about, you know, coaching the game. Uh, I felt I was a pretty decent player, um, but I had so much to learn coaching the game. So uh, I felt the best way to, 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 to help me as a coach is to focus on the development part. Because every time that you're a coach, you're going to be known for something, either being X's and O's, development, or recruiting, you know what I mean? And, and hopefully, you know, you can be adequate at all of those things. But I felt that development, you know, was, uh, was, was my route, was my path, that was my impact, that how I could carve a niche in, this, in, in the game is by working on the development stuff. And because I wasn't very athletic as a player, the, the most athletic guys sometimes are your less, least skilled guys. And because I never was a very good athlete, it was it, the game. I understood the game differently and footwork and balance and things like that. These are the things that is required to, to be effective in the game aside from the talent. So, you know, I just really started to focus on that. And uh, I took on some very, uh, how would I say, very difficult tasks initially. Some players that didn't have a lot of ability and weren't, weren't very coordinated. Uh, it's kind of like a puzzle, putting a puzzle together. You know, I worked with some young guys, uh, you know, at, 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 at the beginning. And then I just kind of started to realize that this is really what, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing because it was a challenge. And then and the, the interesting thing ever is that, you know, I, I took a liking to working with bigger players. And I'm a guard, you know, six foot two and a half. 6'3", uh, if I stand on my tiptoes. Uh, but I started working with bigger players, uh, and that was a challenge. So I wanted to challenge myself. It's just easy for a point guard to work with point guards. It's easy for a power forward to work with power forwards because basically you're just uh, reiterating the things that you learned. But when you're at a, a guard and you go and you start working in a totally different position, I think you're really challenged. And, and that, that was a desire that I had. So I started working with, you know, bigger players and started helping them develop footwork balance and feel and, and different things like that and it just kind of it just it just kind of went from there and and then obviously when we when I started working with our good mutual friend that we share Marcus Williams, Marcus Williams and I would tell anyone this Everest not only you and I would tell anyone this he was the best basketball player that I've ever worked with on an individual basis he's the most talented basketball player that I've ever been associated with at any level in terms of pros, college, guys on their way. And I've worked with some guys that are in the NBA right now. But that guy right there, he had it all. And, the, and another thing about Marcus, he had an unbelievably high IQ. He's one of the smartest people, first and foremost, and basketball players that I've ever worked with. So my job was so easy working with him that he knew most of the things and he picked up on things so quickly. So I have to give him a lot of credit that he really helped me to create a really good name in the city because people knew how good he was uh, coming out of Arizona. I had a brief stint in the NBA. I felt like he could have been a 10, 12 year guy in the NBA, but obviously, you know, he took a different path and I, I, I think he had an unbelievable career. Uh, but that guy right there was, was special uh, in terms of the players that I've had a chance to work with was special. But Houston, obviously, you know, with, you know, so many great players that, you know, played in the NBA and for a long time, before L.A. was created, Houston was like the home of all the pros in the summer because of the summer league and the runs and all the places that you can go and work out, the hills, the tracks, and just, you know, everybody playing pickup basketball all over. Everybody was coming to Houston. But then, I, you know, I guess this whole uh, music thing kind of took off and athletes now wanting to, you know, kind of, you know, double up and be actors and musicians and things like that. Everybody's going out to L.A. now. But once upon a time, Houston was what L.A. is today, where all of the pros were coming there. And obviously, no, no state tax, affordable housing. That made a big, big deal. They made a big difference with a lot of these athletes, too. Uh, so I just kind of jumped right in. Even before Marcus came along, I just jumped in. And, you know, I was around all these guys. And, you know, and obviously, I felt like, you know, maybe uh, Commissioner Stern, should have called my name. I mean, you know, God rest his soul. I still think he kind of missed on that one. Uh, so I kind of felt like I was an NBA player when I was playing and then just learning from those guys and watching those guys, how they would do things. So I think I kind of stole a lot of stuff too. You know, watch guys, what this guy was doing, what these guys were doing. And, you know, obviously John Lucas being around and stuff like that, him bringing in a lot of players to kind of later on, you know, kind of not necessarily watching his workout, but just kind of watching what some of the players were doing and how they carried themselves and things like that. And, and uh, so I, I just felt like that was my niche and, uh, and I got involved and, uh, it's, you know, and I just developed a little bit of a decent reputation uh, for someone that kind of had a feel. I think anytime you play the game, I think that kind of gives you a little bit of an extra, extra credibility, the fact that you played it and you played it at a pretty good level, that it's something that you can, that you can kind of share with someone else. So, um, but it's guys like Marcus Williams, like I say, I think that that really kind of put me in a really 
comfortable position that this guy kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah, old Marcus a lot. Uh, appreciate yeah. you, Marcus. Hope you're watching. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to our boy Marcus. Uh, yeah, we're gonna stay right there with, with Houston real quick because uh, another mm-hmm. one of our mutual friends, Christian Begg, um, has been involved with the Houston Hoops uh, program out there, and you were involved a lot with a, a lot of those AAU scene mm-hmm. AAU guys. Mm-hmm. Just want to just briefly touch on you know the last since early 2000s to now. You know what has changed in the landscape of the AAU scene, specifically in the Houston market? Is it the kids have stayed the same, the parents and people around them have been different, or vice versa. Kind of talk on that real quick. Yeah, I think without being disrespectful, I think that the, the parent influence um, back when I was doing it in AAU back in the early 2000, 2003, 2004, 2005, it wasn't enough parent involvement. And I think that's where you kind of started to see a lot of things kind of go awry with kids and kids not getting the right information, uh, you know, people making decisions for kids that maybe weren't in their best interest. Uh, and, you know, not to be negative or critical because I, I too, got uh, accused of doing that. But I think that the individual person that I was involved with with AAU, I think he's gone on to do quite well uh, in the NBA. So I think that, you know, the path that we helped him choose, it worked out for him. Nowadays, it's like there's a lot of parent involvement. But I think the focus now is 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 the, the next level. And I think too many parents now are having their kids skip steps and the kids aren't developed a lot. I think a lot of kids out of Houston – uh, when they move on to, um, you know, to college, you know, um, they're not prepared. I think it's too much parent involvement, you know, wanting to work the kid out or wanting the kid to do this or thinking the kid should be in this camp or the kid should be with this AAU program. And I think sometimes they're, they're forgetting to make the kid work. The kids need to get back in the gym, uh, you know, less in these, uh, I guess, quote unquote, back before the pandemic, you know, all these uh, elite camps and things like that, you know, I, I don't know if the, the work ethic is the same with the kid. You know what I mean? They, they're, they're pretty much, uh, uh, you know, you go in and you watch kids now. I'll give you an example. I, I work a kid out, and not now, but, you know, years, years back when I was out of college, more kids are kind of telling you what they want to work on as opposed to going through the workout. You know what I mean? So I think that, you know, um, the message now, uh, is to get to the NBA too quickly. And kids are being identified, you know, too early in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade as the next LeBron or the next, uh, you know, Steph or the next KD or whatever. So I don't know if the kids are putting the time in and in, in the, in the effort. The work ethic is not there. That's why the transfer portal is so full in college basketball. A lot of Houston kids are in that transfer portal, you know, because everyone has the one-and-done mentality. You know what I mean? AU, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what? You go to a team, they don't play you the right way. Hey, parents are Yankee. Go to the next, next, next program. You know, and I think right. that, they, that 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 becomes something that they carry. Not only in AAU, it goes on to when they go to college. They go there. They don't get the numbers. They don't get the shots they want. Hey, man, I'm getting ready to transfer. So I think uh, parents nowadays need to be more educated. They need to take their time. They need to, um, you know, make sure that their kids are first of all having fun. And I'm not so sure that a lot of these kids are having fun like they need to because the game of basketball is fun. And, and I don't know if the kids are really having fun. It's more of a task and a chore. And maybe uh, this is a means of providing, you know, for, for my family one day. Uh, it becomes a chore. You know what I mean? So I don't know if they're really enjoying it and they're getting the – I enjoyed it. When I played coming up as a kid, we didn't even have a you know, That's how old I am. But I had fun. I enjoyed it, man. It was, a, it was a way to get away from issues and problems and things like that. It brought me joy, you know, and made me smile. It made me feel good about myself. Uh, you know, and things like that. But I think now the difference, again, is that back when I was doing an AU, it was very little parent involvement. Things were getting crazy now. So much parent involvement, so much coaching from the stands and things like that. It drives high school coaches crazy. Obviously, college coaches, um, you know, are a little frustrated with it. But I just think that if the parents can be more, come more educated, be involved. Uh, obviously, you want to be there, support your kid, love your kid, you know, uh, but make sure that they're taking the necessary steps and not skipping steps. I think that the transfer portal will be less full. I think you will have more kids that uh, you know, focus on getting that education, more kids that have a legitimate shot at making the NBA because they respected the process. They put the time in. They worked. More kids need to stay in school a little bit longer. I mean, I think that's – I mean, all that's coming from AAU. So I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing, but it definitely has changed from back in the – and when I was in it, it's changed a lot now. And, and uh, But I, I think that there's room for growth. I think there's room for it to get better. But the parents are going to have to um, become a little bit more educated about what's going on and, 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 and putting their kid in position to have the chance to be successful, uh, as, you know, as, as it relates to moving on to college. Because that, that, that four-year period, you know, it's, uh, it's critical. 
I mean, you know, you, there's a good chance you're going to meet your wife, good chance you meet people, future employers and things like that. Uh, so it's, it's an important, important time for our kids. But, uh, but, but, you know, but, but AAU is, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think it has its positive, has its, has its negatives. I think it's probably 51-49 from when I was doing it as opposed to now. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I do think that, I do think that it, it does has, it has, has a lot of good things that gives kids the opportunity to get out and exercise and do things like that. But I just think that parents need to be a little bit more grounded and not look at the bright light so much uh, too soon. One of the guys that came that was a, a, a extremely involved parent that I remember from back in those our Houston Hoops days when we first met that didn't skip steps with his son. Now his son is playing at an extremely high level in the NBA. Is uh, Kelly Oubre Sr. Uh, I know that he uh, did it the right way. Um, he t- didn't didn't take any short shortcuts with his son. And you know, talk about that parent involvement. I was always you know enamored and always always watched how he moved when he had his son in the game. And, some people didn't like his methods, method of madness and things of that nature, but mm-hmm. he did his stuff mm-hmm. the right way. And I know that mm-hmm. you were around his team, you know, his son then at that point. You both guys are from, you know, his family, you're from Louisiana, his family from Louisiana. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's other guys that have come and gone on the program that, 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 that have great parent involvement, but specifically he stands out uh, for somebody mm-hmm. that, that kind of embodies what you just said. Yeah, I, th- I think that obviously Kelly had a lot of natural talent. A lot of God-given ability, length and, and size, and uh, was a taller player, but able to play out on the perimeter. Uh, so I think, and I felt like, you know, just kind of getting to know him a little bit, not really knowing him, knowing his situation, talking to various people. He just had a, he had an insatiable desire to be successful. And I think his dad was a bit of a, seemed like a bit of a disciplinarian from what I heard and really uh, had him focusing on improvement and getting better and putting him in environments where he can improve and get better. Uh, the rankings are important. I mean, it makes you feel good. If somebody says you're the best, I mean, who they better be called the best and be called the worst. Uh, so I know that's, I know that's a big part of it, but it seemed like that they focus more on um, the, uh, the, the, the journey uh, uh, as opposed to the destination. Some people put the destination ahead of the journey, but it's taking those small steps. And if you do that and you work hard and you commit it to it and you, it's really in your heart to want to do that and you're going to put the time in, I think that the reward will be there. And it seemed like it worked out well for the Uber family. I'm happy <laughs> for that young man. He's doing well out in Phoenix, uh, you know, before the pandemic. And I think he's going to have a long, prosperous career ahead of him in the NBA. Let me take a time out to tell you about my friends over at Soul Lounge, Houston's premier boutique for the latest fashions. Chinatown Market? Check. BBC? You know they got all that. You know Adidas? Man, they got all of that stuff too. The swag, the footwear, Yeezys, and they got everything. No Referees Podcast and Soul Lounge has partnered up to bring you a special offer for listening to this episode. Go online to soullounge.htx.com and enter promo code no rules to get 20% off your entire purchase. That's no rules. All one word, all caps. Soul Lounge. Live what you love. The pandemic came down. Uh, your team playing at an extremely high level. A lot of momentum going into the SWAC tournament uh, into mm-hmm. in, at Birmingham. Mm-hmm. You know, had a big win versus Alabama A and M. Ready to make that another another good year. I mean, last mm-hmm. two years, everybody knows you're 41, 41 wins, undefeated mm-hmm. at home. So mm-hmm. Let's talk about what that momentum was when the pandemic came down and you guys couldn't kind of uh, rehash or defend that title uh, and make that another run to get Sylvia Turner. Yeah, you're right. I appreciate uh, you acknowledging that. It was a bit bit bittersweet uh, because I felt like we were kind of coming together uh, as a unit. You know, um, we'd already, you know, obviously we clinched the, uh, the, the championship going into the final week uh, of the season, which, um, you know, made us happy that we were able to repeat. It's hard to do that uh, at any level, but we were able to do that because we stayed consistent. We stayed true to who we were. Uh, once we beat Alabama A&M in uh, the first round game, I just got into Birmingham, was feeling really good about how we were kind of coming together. And we felt really good about our chances to win the tournament again and get back to the NCAA tournament and maybe even go even further. Because I felt like we had the player of the year in the league, Devontae Patterson, another guy, Gerard Andrews, who could have been player of the year. I thought we had the best two players in the league. And I thought our guard play really was solid. Defensively, we were guarding people, we were really rebounding the basketball. So I think 
our synergy was really good from our coaching staff to our players. Everybody was on one accord and everybody had the same goal. So I felt really good about that. I guess the, the, the disappointing part was that, you know, obviously when the NBA kind of you know, started to shut down and a lot of the power fives, the SEC, the big 12, the ACC, you know, the Pac-12 started canceling the tournament. You know, I was kind of glad. I was hoping that we would as well, because I felt that had we played, you know, the rest of the SWAC tournament, I think it would have, it had been kind of a negative light on us in our, in our conference that, uh, you know, we're, we're risking, you know, people's health or players or kids' health, you know, to, you know, for financial reasons or whatever the case may be. Uh, so I was really kind of glad that when we fell in line with the rest of college basketball uh, and, and that we did cancel the SWAC tournament. But I was still hopeful that maybe that, you know, we would just postpone the start of the NCAA tournament. Maybe a couple of weeks had passed and we could still get in there because I really like, I really liked my team and I really felt, that we could get in the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, last year when we got in, obviously we were on an unbelievable, unbelievable run, really hot. I just think the inexperience ever of being in the NCAA tournament, uh, which which anyone can say that that's coming from a program at our level, that it you know very difficult to get there first and foremost. But I just think we showed some inexperience once we got in the heat of the battle, and we didn't finish the game against Fairleigh Dickinson like we needed to. I think we had a lot of the players back from uh, last year's squad. So I felt like the experience was there along with the talent. Us getting back into the NCAA tournament, we would be able to get past that first round and move into the second round uh, and, and obviously play against a, a really tough opponent. But that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. There's always going to be a Cinderella. It's you against that particular team on a neutral court. Records don't matter. Rosters don't necessarily matter as much. It's you against that particular team for 40 minutes. So it's a bit bittersweet. I felt that we had a chance to get back and do have another special year. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, safety first. Uh, and I'm glad that uh, we as a conference decided to just to kind of shut things down. Uh, so now we're just living with that what if. I think I, I felt right. bad for our seniors that didn't get a chance to finish it off. And they're going to, you know, for the rest of their lives, what if, uh, man, we could have done this, we could have done that. Um, so, you know, you hated to see that happen for those guys. But at five years from now, they'll, they'll, they'll probably be glad that we did do that because who's to say what could have happened? Someone could have gotten sick and it could have been a casualty, uh, something catastrophic, someone not, you know, losing their life or whatever from this pandemic. So uh, it, it made sense to the decision uh, that we made. But, you know, obviously still had, have a lot of uh, good memories from this year's squad and uh, a great group of guys. Uh, our guy, I think several of them are going to move on and have a chance to continue playing. That makes me feel good as a coach that – for a lot of them, it wasn't their last game, their last game at Prairie View, but they'll have a chance to move on and continue to play the game that they love at the next level. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you, you know, you have a handful of seniors. You know, your experience experience is what, you know, probably trumped every everything else or any other team in your league because y'all had already been there, done that. Y'all returning yes. all those guys that came from that fairly Dickinson uh, game and experienced that first championship in the swag. So I was going to ask you just like, well, what was that conversation like with those hand, handful of seniors? when they found, you know, we found out they weren't going to be able to kind of defend their title and make another NCAA run. Well, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that we never really even had that conversation. We, the conversation that we had was that, hey, you know what, we're going to probably you know, shut down the conference tournament. But I, I think, just trying to keep them positive, I think we're going to have a chance to, you know, we'll probably be the crown the conference champion. Uh, regular season, obviously, we'd already won it, so we would probably get the bid to move on and play in the NCAA tournament. So we were just keeping our fingers crossed and holding our hopes that we would do that because we came back to campus. I think we were only here uh, four or five days, six days maybe, and then everything just kind of shut down. And the school was postponed. Everybody, you know, went home and things. So, you know, we just – but we still were holding out hope, you know, that we the tournament would go on. So, so hey, stay ready. Stay ready. We, we can't practice. We, we can't do this. But watch what you eat. Watch what you put in your body. Keep your mind focused. You know, don't do anything. Don't let your guard down. Protect yourself. And uh, we're going to know something here pretty soon. But uh, some of them I have yet to, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about uh, the academic piece and finishing up the semester strong. Uh, you know, everything went remote, you know, from their, from home and things like that. But and I'm so proud that we had one of the best semesters, uh, men's basketball academically, that we've had since I've been here. So those guys are real troopers. I mean, they were disappointed, but they didn't let their guard down. They didn't drop the ball. They, they tackled the academics. Uh, we've got uh, one of our young, two of our young men have graduated. We have five seniors, I think. We've got three that are going through summer school right now that will get their degree this summer. So I was proud of that. Uh, but it's going to come a time here real soon, ever said, we're going to get a chance to you know, Zoom or see these guys in person, go grab a meal and just talk about 
you know, how much we appreciate the contribution they made over the past two years, uh, even before they move on. Because we're going to have probably three or four of them that are going to get a contract somewhere and continue to be continue playing basketball. A couple of other ones will probably – Obviously, they're going to you know, have a great impact on society, either being a teacher, being a coach. I see it in all of them because they, 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 they approach the game with great respect and they work so hard. I think then they, their knowledge of the game is really, really, really good. So I can see several of them having a career in the future in coaching. Uh, but, but we're going to do something special uh, for these guys before uh, our next group comes in here in the fall, for sure. We, we owe that much to them, for sure. Right. Yeah, I know everybody doing the graduations on Zoom now and yes. the virtual graduations and things like that things of that nature. I know that we're shutting down right now. And um, you know, uh that's pretty cool that you're gonna be able to do something with those guys, you know, just to mm-hmm. show your appreciation and, and mm-hmm. things of that mm-hmm. nature. So I wanna mm-hmm. ask you a question. You mentioned about the incoming guys. You know, one thing about it, uh, people know about Coach Smith, that Coach Smith has his seven pillars of his program. You know, my acronym of the my acronym is TP. Like a teepee yeah. hut, you okay. know, toughness, energy, effort, approach, preparation, mm-hmm. execution, mm-hmm. enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. All these things, really, if you really kind of know Byron B. Smith, that's pretty much how he lives his life. Yeah. You know, so talk about when you're out there recruiting these guys to come to Prairie View, uh, to, to buy into the seven pillars of the program. You know, you're sitting down with their parents uh, in their living room. Uh, um, in your Adidas Climalite uniform, things like you know, what 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 are you saying to the parents and kids? You know, to talk about your program. Well, you know, the seven pillars what you talk about, and we talk about enthusiasm. The great Ralph Waldo Emerson said, "Nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm." Uh, you know, having great energy, you know, uh, effort, uh, and toughness. You know, those are the first four. You know, and that's that's at any point in time. That's life. You know, when we talk about the other three. Uh, we talk about preparation, you know, that's mental and physical, which we work on that uh, together. We talk about approach to, 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 to the game. You know, what are you going to do to get yourself ready? You know, you've got all the information. What are you going to do, you know, in terms of your routine and things like that? And the final piece is execution, you know, when you get out on the court, you know what I mean? And uh, so those are the seven pillars of our program. Uh, and, but, but like I say, again, you apply that to life, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, you always say when, when, when uh, preparation meets opportunity, great things happen. You know, you got to be prepared for every day in life. Uh, so we talk to, you know, our kids about that, recruits and, and current players. Uh, and it never changes. It doesn't waver. You know, when you establish a culture, that's what will sustain you. And so now when we go out and we recruit kids, uh, you know, and I tell people this all the time, you know, I get calls all the time and I tell them all the time, you know, kids can play, but can they play at purview? We do things a different way here. It takes a different type of kid mentally uh, because you're going to have to sacrifice a lot first and foremost, because you know what we sell out uh, to the defense more than anything. You know, my deal is if you can play defense here at Prairie View, it's, it's my duty, you know, it's it, to be able to allow you to, to have freedom and to play freely on offense. Cause we put so much focus and emphasis on defense. We're number seven, ranked number seven in the nation uh, ever since at creating turnovers. That's in the nation. You know, it's not many, not many teams at the Southland and the SWAC and, you know, the MEAC, you know, get a national ranking, you know what I mean? And, you know, we were in the top 10 at, free, at three-point percentage defense. You know what I mean? I mean, so defense is, I mean, a lot of people talk about it, a lot of coaches talk about it, but we really attack it, you know what I mean? So, uh, but these, but the, those, that's our culture, those seven pillars. I mean, that, that's our culture. And, uh, you know, we want to bring in young men that, that want to come in and want to add, you know, come in and, and, and have a great, get an education, like we say, and have a great basketball experience. Our culture is set. Uh, we're very selective about who we recruit. Uh, we're not desperate for players. We, our phone rings all the time. We get emails all the time. And uh, if there's a kid that we don't get on the front end, we keep the relationship. There's a good chance that he may go to A&M or go to Baylor, go to Houston. Things may not work out for whatever reason, but the re- relationship is there. They remember, you know, the things that we talked about in recruiting because of what we talk about, I think, is pretty profound. I mean, we get kids to think outside the box uh, to get you in unbelievable shape, uh, to, to, to go beyond what you think that you can do. Uh, that you want your Tuesday to be better than your Monday, your Wednesday to be better than your Tuesday, your Thursday to be better than your Wednesday, your Friday to be better than your Thursday, your Saturday to be better than your Friday, your Sunday to be better than your be better than your Saturday. It's like what Kobe Bryant used to always say. He didn't compete against necessarily you. Ever. He competed against his last performance. And you think about that. You're competing against your last, like that old saying, you're only, you're only good as your last performance, but you're trying to outdo your last performance, being in practice, being in games and things like that. And if you have that mentality and that attitude, you never get complacent. And I always say this, you know, when, you, when some of you run the sprint, 
Everest. I always tell guys, man, you know what? Don't look at the guy running next to you, okay? Because he may not he may not want it the way you want it. He may not love the game the way you love it. You're competing against other people. You're competing against your last performance. And if you have that mentality, you're going to always be, you know, full throttle in fifth gear all the time. So, you know, the again, that's our culture. We talk to everyone about that. We're always going to be honest, uh, you know, with parents. We're always going to be honest with the players. Uh, we're always going to stress those pillars. Um, and again, Evers, I, I don't know. I just think it works for us. I mean, we, we, we have had a little bit of success here over the last three years and, you know, back-to-back champions. And the goal this year is to try to go for a three-peat. You know, only a few people, only a few teams have been able to do that. Uh, it's not going to be easy, but, but we're definitely shooting for it, for sure. Right, right. I'm, I'm rooting with y'all. I'm, I'm riding with that purple, that purple and purple and gold all the way down, down to uh, Birmingham. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're a fan of me. If you would have ended up at Sisters of the Blind or wherever, you know, I would have been rocking right. With you, you know? So I got a question for you, just in regards to, mm-hmm. in regards to recruiting. When you're going mm-hmm. out and and you're sitting, and you're recruiting, and you're talking to these parents, and some people around the country may think that HB, HBCU athletics is kind of almost like. I don't want to say niche, but like a subset of NCAA athletics. Right. You know, right. so when, you, when you're talking to these kids and these parents and these high school coaches and these AAU coaches and things of that nature, you know, what, how do you get them to, to see the value of, of an HBCU athletic program? And, you know, what are they saying to you uh, that you would like, you know what, this, think about this instead of that? Well, I mean, obviously there's stigmas everywhere, you know, and, and we deal with them all the time and, uh, you know, uh, in recruiting, you know, uh, writers, you know, media people and things like that. I get all these questions all the time about what's it like, you know. I mean, they, they sometimes act as if you're, uh, you know, coaching animals. You know, it's, it's, it's basketball. You know, the court is 94 by 52. Uh, the baskets are 10 feet. Uh, you know, we it's not, you know, it's not AAU when we travel. You know, it's not five, six to a room. You know, you get your roommate. I mean, it's basketball. You look at our schedule that we play. Uh, sorry, we look at our schedule that we play. We're playing some of the top teams in the country. Uh, we've got the nation's respect. I mean, when you start talking about national rankings and things like that, defensively and things like that, I've gotten so many emails and so many text messages from coaches that we face that say, man, you get your kids to play so hard. You guys play the right way. So I know that we, we're on, if you will, uh, in terms of the, the, res- the respect and the reception that we get from coaches around the Teams don't want to play y'all now when y'all pick up the phone before them it's, games. It's, 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 it's difficult. It's really difficult. And then, you know, you go out and you talk to uh, you talk to parents and you talk to uh, other coaches and things like that, high schools and things of that nature. And, and again, you, you know, you say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, this is, this is, an opp- this is a place that uh, an HBCU is so much history, you know, with HBCUs and – uh, you know, it, it, you're getting a, you're getting a, excuse me, I was, I think I lost, you're getting a, uh, an education within an education, you know, about, you know, a lot of social issues and things like that. I mean, that's what, H, that's what to me, what HBCUs, uh, you know, provide. HBCUs are really here because of the systemic racism that we're talking about. If you think about it, I mean, it's because there was a time that, you know, African-Americans weren't allowed to go to, to the University of Texas. And, and, and that's how you know. And HBC, you know HBCUs had, cut, had cutting of funding back in the day, too. Absolutely. You know, so and that's how I think the Thurgood Marshall School of Law was even created, because there was an African-American gentleman that wanted to go to law school at the University of Texas, if I've got my, my, my history and my story correct. So, I mean, there's an education within an education. But even beyond that, the social issues and the social things that HBCUs, you know, kind of present in terms of your thinking, uh, you know, again, you know, how we run our program here. Uh, I haven't been to every HBCU. I don't know how they run their programs in other places, but I know the places that I've been, University of Houston as a coach, Texas A&M as a coach and things like that, you know, and all my experiences in, in playing overseas and things like that, you know, we, we, we run our program uh, on par with, with everyone else that's in, that's the power fives, if you will, uh, because I've, I've been there. I understand. I've seen how it's supposed to be run. So, you know, it's more about just educating people, getting them to come on campus. One thing, they come on this campus. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they got their, they got their uh, camera phone out taking pictures at the nice, this is yeah, one. Y'all got some amazing facilities over there. I did some we research. Do. I'm like, man, y'all we welcome do. center is amazing. Yeah, y'all we football yes. field, y'all yes. arena. 10,000 yes. seats, yeah. uh, man, mm-hmm. it's so, mm-hmm. you would never think that it's a, a small city. Absolutely. And also people don't know that Prairie View is the second oldest public school in the whole state of Texas Absolutely. out of 23 Division One programs and Absolutely. a whole host of other, uh, uh, universities out there. 
that Absolutely. you know yeah the, it just it just my, it, when I did some research and I've been to Prairie a few times just to see these yeah. facilities y'all have are high major absolutely know, high major facilities like you say absolutely. any kid you get a kid on campus yeah and it's not that it's not that far from Houston I mean yeah. you pretty much drive drive up you pass the uh, the outlet mall you pretty much at Prairie View they they should be good from there they are you know and and so and we definitely sell all that we use all of that. Uh, to get them to get them to the campus, and, the more, and here's the deal: once we feel like we get them on campus, average, we got more than a eighty percent chance of getting them. Obviously, depending on who's recruiting them, and obviously, we're very smart with our recruiting. If, if this kid tells us that you know he's got U of H and he's got A and M, he's got well, you know, it's not that we're afraid or feel inferior. We just feel like you know what: there's some things that are there uh, because Prairie View's still on the rise, and 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 we haven't arrived yet. These other institutions have arrived, and so they probably deserve based off of the, the, what has happened in the past, uh, to be able to get that young man. You know? But again, once we get them on campus, I mean, it becomes a different conversation. You know, they, we feel like it's ours to lose and not, and not theirs, and then theirs to win uh, over us once we get them on campus. So we got a lot of good things in place here. We feel really good about who we are. And it's the message that we send as our staff. We've got a very experienced staff, with a bunch of smart guys that have been some other places. Uh, so we feel like uh, not only does Prairie View provide them the opportunity to get a great education in the classroom, it's a great basketball education and experience with a chance to win each and every year and have a chance to get to that NCAA tournament. Uh, so there, we cover a lot of the bases. We feel very confident, uh, again, that we're not recruiting against you know, some of the, you know, the, the other schools and things like that, uh, but, but we feel really good that we can offer a lot of the same things these other institutions offer in terms of great education and great basketball experience. So I got a question just about recruiting to mm-hmm. HBCU. Mm-hmm. Recently, there was a, a, a one of the top fifty players in the program uh, in the country, uh, Mikey Williams, uh, mm-hmm. has uh, some HBCUs in his top five. Right. Um, do you? What do you think about just players? You know, I don't want to say uh, bringing back, but you know, these top top notch players, these blue chip athletes, you know, going to HBCUs instead of the big time programs. You know, I just want to get your thoughts and takes on just, you know, if you can land these, you know, top, if you were, if you were, if Prairie was in the top five of somebody like him or somebody like a Zion, uh, mm-hmm. these kind of guys, you know, what would that do for just HBCU athletics by, by and large? Again, here's a question I have for, for everyone that's listening. And is that Mikey Williams's interest in HBCUs? Uh, is that his interest or is that the people that are surrounding him? Is that a, is that a movement or is that a moment? Because here's my question. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to focus on Mikey Williams right now in, in June, June, June 10th, uh, 2020. I'm going to pay attention and listen to Mikey Williams on June 10th, 2021. And if, he says, if he's still talking HBCU, one year removed, I think I probably would, would be feet first. I, w- I want a part of that. But I think right now with all of the, the, the social justice issues and the things going on with George Floyd, I just think right now people are really excited and, uh, and they're very, um, how would I say, they're very, um, they're very, 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 very shaken up a little bit right now. And I think maybe this is a lot of emotion uh, that's really speaking as opposed to, you know, uh, true feelings. Um, I think that an HBCU can provide Mikey Williams with the same experience that some of these quote unquote power fives can, uh, because the thing about it is going to give him an opportunity to showcase his skills and his talents. And there's, and there's very, very good players in our league. Uh, I'm not saying that there's Zions and, and, and Kevin Durant, you know, in the past, those type of guys in our league, but we've got very, 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 very good basketball players that can play in a lot of places. Vontae Patterson, the kid we had this year, played for us, played the year in the league, and play in a lot of places in America. But because of some extenuating circumstances, that he didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, but I think that um, I, I would really take this seriously. Like I say, when a kid commits, when a kid commits uh, to not a kid that's two years removed from graduation, but a top fifty player, top twenty player that's going into a senior year to commit to an HBCU, I'll be I'll be a believer because again the collective bargaining agreement, which is kind of going a little bit deeper than this thing ever, is, is getting ready to come up again, and I really do believe that the Mikey Williamses of the world will be able to go have a direct pathway into the NBA. I think they're going to open that up again. Uh, there might be some stipulations added to it, but with all this new stuff coming on the overseas market that they're taking in this, you know, the NBA uh, basketball uh, borders without borders program that are having these placing these kids over in Australia and, and paying them certain amounts of money to go over there to help their league. Uh, this new G League uh, deal that's going on with the uh, you know the Jalen Greens, the Isaiah Todds, 
uh, you know, of the world. Uh, a lot of these kids are taking that path, getting two hundred fifty, five hundred thousand dollar contracts and things like that. Uh, I'm not sure Mr. Williams is going to go anywhere, anywhere near a college campus by the time he comes out. Um, but that, but that, that, that's, that remains to be seen. Uh, but I think it can help. I think that uh, at some point in time, I don't know if it's going to be Mikey Williams, but I think at some point in time there's a kid that's going to go directly to an HBCU. Uh, worst case scenario, if he transfers from uh, a Power Five to an HBCU, I think that would have just 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 equal uh, uh, importance and significance. So, uh, it, and the jury's still out a little bit. Uh, like I said, again, I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna see what Mr. Williams's comments and his his vibe and his climate and temperature is t- 12 months from now. If he's still feeling the same way uh, post, you know, all this stuff that's going on in our society right now with the with the the, the injustices and the social issues that that we're dealing with right now. He came with those comments. I saw those comments, and I was like, "Man, he tried. He really, you know, is, is going to try to make a difference." You know, you know, yes, cause there was already, there, there was already some talk about, you know, should should black players uh, go to HBCUs before this uh, George Floyd mm-hmm. situation? Right. And then, like yeah. how you said, now everybody is a little bit uh, on edge and sensitive about it. You know, it could be mm-hmm. just a moment, not a movement. So we'll see. Twenty twenty one. You know, we'll we'll reconvene then and. And, yes. and, talk, and talk about it then. So, you know, <laughs> one of the one of the questions that we ask all of our uh, guests that come on the No Referees podcast, our slogan is no no text, no rules, no whistles. And so everything here is unpenalized. So we always ask right. our guests, you know, what was the very first time you had an interaction with a referee? If you had a technical foul call, what was your first technical foul call? And uh, when you were the young guy, you know, no, give, give give me the first interaction you have with a referee, be it a good re- interaction or a bad interaction. You know, I, I've uh, I've actually done some refing myself, and 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 that's a pretty daunting task. And you got to have some thick skin, uh, and even the toughest of guys, you know, have that sensitivity in, in them when people kind of challenge you. Because a lot of times when you're refing a game, your your manhood is your manhood is challenged. <laughs> it's not your skills as a ref, your manhood. Like, man, who you think you talk, you know, who you think you're talking to, that type of deal. So I've always had respect, you know, for, for refs. And, and I tell my players all the time, Everest, I think the, 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 the player that I saw that dealt with refs the best uh, was Sam Cassell. I love Sam. Competed against Sam a lot, you know, in, in open runs and, you know, back in the summer leagues in Houston and stuff like that. But he always would talk to a ref, no matter what it was about. If he was mad or what, he always had a smile, and he always, I would always, he always kind of finished it with a pat, you know, on the back to that referee. So I tried to incorporate that myself, you know, as as a coach. It, it didn't work out too well uh, before I got a technical foul. Uh, but I always try to educate my players as to how to deal with the refs. But for me personally, um, I've never used poor language of refs uh, because I, I do respect men. I do respect professions. I do respect you know, people that do something for a living and stuff like that. Man, not always agree with the calls that they, that they make and things like that. But, but here's what I would always say. Hey, you know what? We, especially with Power 5 games and traveling faraway places and stuff like that, say, hey, man, it's the kids. It's the kids. You know, give the kids an opportunity. Let them compete. You know, don't, don't let me impact your decision. Don't let me impair your vision. You know, you're paying attention. To me, maybe something going out there on the court. Let the kids settle it. You know, we came way this far. Just give the kids a chance to compete. Uh, but I, I haven't gotten a lot of technicals. I've gotten more warnings ever since I've gotten actual technical files. What was that first technical you got as a head coach? I think the first technical. I think the first technical I got as a head coach at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, it was very cold up there. Uh, obviously, it's always cold. The arena's cold. Uh, they were very good. Uh, I think they had uh, Kaminsky. Uh, and Sam Decker, two first-round picks. I think that was my first year, and they were kind of putting it on us pretty good. And uh, I just say, hey, man, you know what? Chances of us winning not very good. You know, let, let, just let me go ahead and just say what I want to say. I don't think it was a curse word. I just said, man, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. You really should be ashamed of yourself. And he just – he wasn't having it. He turned around, and he popped me. i tell you something else, too. Uh, you know, referees, they, they, they share information. They share information with each other. You know, well, hey, you know what I got – you know, man, we we've got that hot head from Prairie View tonight, Smith. You know, you got to get, you know, and they, and you can just tell because it can be the little, the least little thing at the beginning of the game. Hey, 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 not gonna put up with that tonight. When I hear that, I know I better, I better, I better stay calm. <laughs> you know, you, stay calm. you know, you're yeah. in for a long night if you're something long like that. Long night, long night. But 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 you know what? I think that for the most part, we've gotten a fair whistle. Um, I think they've allowed the kids to play because I think they do appreciate the effort the kids put forth. And I don't think they're against anybody, but obviously, you know, people feel that, 
Duke, you supposed to lose Duke by 40. Well, maybe we going to go in and maybe, who knows, it could go down to the last possession. But just let us settle it. You know, we played Arizona State this past year. I mean, it was a lot of talk on Pat 12 Network that, you know, maybe that it was some questionable calls and things like that because it was a five, six, seven-point ball game kind of back and forth. I felt like we really could have had a chance to win it. But um, but but I think we get a fair whistle for the most part. But I, I give refs a, a hard time. But but it's usually with, with a smile and a pat on the back. Like appreciate what you're doing. And a lot of times they reciprocate that. You know the the the, the most people don't know when the basketball coach sits down and do your pregame notes and all that kind of stuff. You see you you see the name of the refs that you get. So yes. you know that's how you say the referees yes. talk amongst themselves. The yes. coaches y'all talk amongst yourself. Y'all know if y'all getting. John Doe referee or Jane Doe yes. Rock referee. Y'all know it's going to yes. be in, y'all in for a long night with the whistle yes. or we're going to get yes. a fair shake. So you know that going yeah. into before the game even starts. Absolutely. We do. And, uh, you know, uh, there's certain guys that, you know, you, 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 we get and we'll talk to our players and say, hey, you know what? Hey, don't say anything to the ref because, you know what? These guys have a really good track record. These guys are here for a reason. These are some, this is probably the best ref in our league reputation wise. Uh, but I never talk about, man, this guy's going to, you know, do this to you or you're going to get a bad whistle because you don't want to get them something. They want them going to the game negative and having that defense, you know, like, oh, man, that wasn't a foul. And, man, I knew you were going to do this. Cause, and the refs talk to the players before the games a lot of times too. Uh, so I think the referees more for the coaches to, you know, kind of say, well, hey, man, you know, I may need to watch how I ask questions tonight or just kind of watch my decor, my bench decorum is going to be watch tonight, you know what I mean? Because they don't want assistant coaches to be up a lot. I mean, that's one of the big things in college basketball. And and it's hard because our assistants, they do the scouting report. So they, you know, they're going to know something that I'm not going to know as a head coach. You know, they jump up and say, hey, number 22 is a shooter. Get out on him and stuff. And they'll come, hey, you can tell you got to sit down and stuff like that. So, you know, th- those those become kind of become problems for our bench is that they don't want our guys to be up a lot. And we got a, uh, a spirited coaching staff they like to be up and they like to be in the game and like to encourage and our players feed off of that and they see a dead bench then sometimes it affects their performance it affects their energy when they see a coach up because I don't sit down ever during the game at all I don't sit down to start the game if we're up by 20 down by 20 I'm going to be up the whole time because I think my players look over there and they get used to that and I think it helps them but uh but for the most part I think my my time with the referees has been pretty positive uh, I think that if you ask them to a man uh, they'll probably chuckle when you bring my name up. Oh, uh, Smith, uh, he's all right. I, I think you get that. Yeah, but, 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 but I will work on the respect. Overseas Basketball Connection is an app and platform that connects the pro basketball player to the pro basketball team without having an agent, keeping them coins in your pocket. Normally, when a player wants to play pro, they go hire an agent, sit on their couch, and hope the agents out there working hard for them. Not knowing if the agents putting in their work, contacting teams, or putting them on the back burner. With OBC, we give the player the power to have their career in the palm of their hands. With our app, players can check out live openings from teams around the world and send their game film and stats straight to the team in seconds with the push of a button, cutting out the middleman agent. No Referees Podcast and OBC have teamed up to bring you an exclusive offer. For the month of June, you'll get to sign up for free. Tell all your Hooper friends, your sons, daughters, cousins, it doesn't get any easier to live out your dreams with OBC. Overseas Basketball Connection, number one source for players to play basketball overseas. Coach, you just mentioned your assistant coach, and that's actually the thing I want to talk to you about because before – you got the opportunity. Uh, uh, you were blessed by this opportunity to be the head coach here. You were a longtime assistant coach. Actually, before you were a head coach, most people probably don't know this, you were a head coach for the Harlem Globetrotters for a, a cup of coffee. Uh, so talk about just that being uh, an assistant coach, a head coach. Most people think that it's the difference between an assistant and a head coach is six inches between, between, between the chair. You know, yeah. So talk about just what it's like. You know, you've been an assistant. You talk about the, the bench energy or that energy from your from your coaching staff uh, to now being a head coach. And, and also piggybacking on that, you know, what is it like? Uh, what does it mean to you to be a head coach at this institution uh, at D1? Well, the thing about it as an assistant, you know, I mean, you everybody loves the assistant coaches with the players. <laughs> and because, you know, and then as an assistant, you make suggestions, you know what I mean? And so it kind of gives you a bit of a safety net. You don't make the decision, you make a suggestion. You're not going to lose your job by making a suggestion. 
you know what I mean, unless, you, unless you're working for the wrong guy. But you can kind of lose your job based off the decisions, you know, and, 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 and making those final calls and things like that. So uh, it's a huge – you're close, but it's, it's, it's miles away. Uh, in terms of being a, uh, an assistant, being a head, I don't care how involved you are as an assistant. If you a lot of a lot of assistant coaches run a lot of programs in terms of you know not on court decisions, but just in terms of you know scheduling and recruiting and just you know how they go about their business and things like that. And some trusted assistants that are close to being head coaches, but even when even with that, it's still a miles apart, miles away from when you make that 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 leap over to sitting in the, in the first chair because everything's on you. Everything's on you. You're ultimately responsible. I don't care how much you as an assistant, like I say, you make decisions. The head coach is, you know, you, you know, he's the person you live and die with that. You know, it's wins and you win or you lose as the head coach. Um, so, you know, my time as an assistant coach, I was fortunate here at Prairie View not to necessarily make decisions, but um, I helped with a lot of the implementation of the practices, a lot of the development stuff, just our identity and things like that, because I was preparing myself to be a head coach. I didn't know I'd get the opportunity here, but I was preparing myself to be a head coach somewhere. So I was fortunate to work for a guy that allowed me leeway to be able to, um, you know, sometimes have some free reign and, uh, you know, not necessarily control practices, but, you know, what, you know, the development so such a big part of it. I did all the skill work here from guards, bigs, wings, um, and, 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 you know, people get used to hearing your voice. So and they, and you, and you get a lot of eye contact from the players. When you stand up and you say something, they're respectful to the head coach because he makes the final call. But, you know, things that we went over in practice and things like that. So, you know, I, I got a lot of on-the-job experience in being an assistant. And if you're fortunate uh, as an assistant to work for someone that give you that leeway, then I think that that's a, that's a nice segue into becoming your own boss and gives you an opportunity to, uh, even though it's still different, you still got a lot to learn as a head coach as opposed to being an assistant coach, but I think it does help prepare you the more involvement you have as opposed to a lot of assistant coaches are just recruiters. They have no input in practice. They're not there a lot of times. They've got no say, so they don't, they don't do scouting report. Just bring me good players and we'll take care of the rest. Get me the players, I'm going to coach them. So you don't want to be in that situation very long in your career because it doesn't prepare you for you know that big seat. Um, so, and for me here at Prairie, it's, it's, it's been a blessing to be the head coach here. I'm so thankful each and every day to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for giving me the opportunity. Um, I felt that I had a future in this business. Uh, sometimes, you know, the opportunity is the most difficult part of this business. It's not the job itself. It's getting the opportunity to showcase your skills and your talents. And Prairie View's given me an opportunity to be one of few, 360, 341 Division One schools. I, I am a head coach. I mean, and that's, that's, that's hard to break into this fraternity. You know, some guys never get this opportunity. I've been blessed to be able to not only to have some success in being a head coach, but just have an opportunity to be a head coach. So I'm thankful. Uh, I don't take it for granted. I don't take it lightly. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I try to be better each and every day. I'm continuing to try to improve uh, to make this program, sustain this program, success that we've had, and even take it to another level to where we can be in the, in the conversation with the Gonzagas and the St. Mary's and the Butlers and the Wichita States, the same way they kind of came up, that, you know, that, 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 that we're trying to do that same thing. That it's not just a, a moment. This is the movement, the Panther movement, that we're going to continue to be. We're going to continue to be uh, one of the mid-range and, and, and uh, pioneers of college basketball. That, that, that's, right. that's, that's where we're trying to be. I can see y'all being like the, like he said, like a, a the, the the Loyola, Loyola Chicago, of, uh, absolutely uh, of, uh, of of the of the mid major uh, program. So stay right there with coaching coach. Do you ever feel like um, a, a, a HBCU can be a quote unquote destination job? You know, I know that the, the late great uh, Eddie Robinson, you know, made the the the, the, the football program at Cramlin almost like a destination job. A lot of coaches wanted that job. Um, so I just wanted to ask, you know, is there ever a point we feel like an HBCU program will be considered a quote unquote destination job? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think, I think it's important to two things to know whose you are and who you are. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I, I think that, you know, coaches aspire to, to work, you know, to be a head coach anywhere. I mean, it's just something to be said to be in the head. I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, you've accomplished a goal. So I, I think that there's coaches that, that, that do aspire to be, you know, at this level. Because I think the one thing about it, if you start out, you know, coaching, you know, at, you know, at a mid-major, at a prairie, at a Texas, at an HBU, at a Stephen F. Austin, I mean, you know, I think that there's still, you know, levels to go. You know, I, I think it keeps you sharp. I think it keeps you motivated. I think it keeps you hungry, humble, but hungry, uh, as opposed to starting out at 29, 28, 29 years old, 30 years old, being a head coach 
uh, at a Duke or somewhere like that. So, I mean, where else is there, is there for you to go from there? You understand what I'm saying? So I do think that, 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 that it, it can, it's a destination. Uh, because, and I think that you get a lot of attention because you're dealing with a lot of uh, obstacles. I, I don't know if coaches that, uh, you know, start out at the quote-unquote higher level, uh, you know, would, would necessarily, as a head coach, start at a higher level, would want to, uh, you know, go down, if you will. But I, I do think for high school coaches, uh, possibly AAU coaches, and high major division one assistant coaches, I definitely could see Prairie View in particular. I can't speak for many other HBCU, but Prairie View in particular, because of the, the resources that we have here, the facilities that we have here, I could easily see them looking at it as a destination job because I think we got a lot to offer here uh, just in terms of the total uh, collegiate experience here on campus and just the educational piece and, again, the nice facilities and just the success that we're having now. Uh, hopefully I'll be here for a long time, but I think after I leave, I definitely think this job will garner a lot of interest uh, from coaches from all around. But I think that's that's an interesting question. I don't know if someone is coaching at, uh, you know, uh, 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 New Mexico State, uh, maybe a UTEP would say, hey, you know what, I like it here, but, man, I really want that challenge of working at HBCU because it just offers uh, challenges each and every day. So, Coach, you know, everybody knows uh, Houston, you're a Houston guy. You know, we hear about the Breakfast Club. We hear about all these different restaurants down in Houston. Anybody who knows you, no, you love the Turkey Hut. You know, what is it about that place that, that, that you just love going to and what makes it such a Houston staple? Well, first of all, first of all, I know the owner, uh, Nakia. Um, I can't remember Nakia's last name. Uh, she actually is a U of H girl. She went to U of H. I, got, I didn't go to school with her, but I started my coaching career around the time uh, that she was in school over there as a basketball player. Uh, and I didn't know that she was involved with it. But obviously, once I started doing more research, I realized that. And I just heard so much about it and you know people like the breakfast club people uh started to gravitate towards that place and so i just took uh took my lady friend there uh once and uh the food was just so good and then we went one more time and then obviously we went in to play texas southern our team we took our team there because you know just wanted to kind of do something nice and support you know local black businesses but also give our kids an opportunity to have a good meal uh and just a lot of people that i would see there they're eating there i kind of knew so it just kind of became like a familiar place can't eat there a whole lot because you know it's very very good food and uh, a lot of calories in that good food so i try to watch my weight but definitely a place we like to go to every now and again because it's good people good vibe and really good food cool uh, yeah I, i've never tried it but yeah next time i'm in houston i'm about to i'm about to try it out yeah you know what Evers, I, i'm really proud of you and your uh, evolution not only as a uh, strength and conditioning coach it's like you're venturing out doing some different things i think there's some impactful things i've enjoyed my time here uh, I enjoy you as a person. Uh, always been good to me and been helpful to me and always try to help me in any way that you can. Hopefully you feel the same way about me, that the feeling is mutual and reciprocated. Uh, but continue to do positive things, uh, being a, uh, a visionary. Uh, hopefully we'll see you on ESPN. I'll pick up your podcast one day and get you on ESPN. Uh, and I can put on one of my flashy suits and come on and really make you look good as being one of your uh, guests uh, <laughs> on the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the great podcast that you're hosting. I'm really proud of you and uh, continue success moving forward with this podcast. Well, I, I appreciate I appreciate that. Appreciate our, our brother, uh, Coach Byron Smith, coming on the podcast today, sharing some stories, sharing some good quality things, giving us the insight of HB, HBCUs and HBCU athletics and, and the, the, the momentum of this program has uh, moving forward. Everyone, please go follow his uh, basketball team on social media at PV Men's Hoops and follow the athletic program at PVA&M Panthers. That's my brother, my friend of the family, Byron Smith. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Appreciate you, Everson. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. To the next episode, we out.